Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Inbound Agency Journey. This is Andrew and I'm so excited to have you here right now. Thanks for just taking a little bit of time out of your day to listen to the podcast here. We've got an awesome interview lined up for you today. Uh, Before I jump into the interview, I want to just mention a quick conversation I spotted this week over on inbound.org talking about any tips for a new digital marketing agency. This is posted by Joshua Daniels. Joshua is the owner of Search Control. They're a UK marketing agency. And this topic blew up, guys. There are like 57 comments going on it right now. A lot of different folks chiming into it. And there's a lot of awesome insights shared. The biggest takeaway that I saw from this is that agencies need to practice what they preach. They need to start doing their own inbound marketing. And I couldn't agree with that takeaway more. Um, so if you want to grab the uh, the conversation here, I'm going to link it in the show notes. If you just head over to doinbound.com slash 52, you can grab the show notes for this show. Check out this thread. And if you're a new agency getting started, there's some tidbits in here. And if you are an established agency and you're up and running, you've learned a thing or two, Go ahead and share your feedback here. You know, give back to the community a little bit. I'm sure the uh, the young ones watching this would really appreciate your perspective. Now, for today's episode, we have an awesome conversation with Rick Whittington. Rick is a agency owner who has really led a slow growth agency, slow and steady growth. It's really cool to hear how they break things down and how they've grown their agency. They do a lot of website design, but they've tailored their web design now to always include some sort of an ongoing engagement with it. So without further ado, folks, here is Gray's conversation with Rick. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. All right, welcome back to Inbound Agency Journey. I'm your host, Gray McKenzie. I'm really excited to have Rick Whittington on the podcast today. Rick, how you doing, man? I'm good. Glad to hear you're well, too. Yep. I am excited for this interview. Um, we have gotten to know each other over the last couple of years. Uh, Rick, what, what year did you guys partner up with HubSpot? We became a HubSpot partner in October of 2012. And so uh, they actually showed up on my radar in 2009. Um, Pete Caputa actually called me when they first started the program. I, I don't know how he got my name or anything wow. like that, but um, we talked. And uh, I think they were just starting the partner program and, and wanted some partners to sign on. And it just wasn't the right fit for us at that time. It was just me. And uh, started the agency in 2007. So in 2009, still just me. And uh, 2012, though, we certainly had more of a commitment to, to blogging and doing things the right way. So um, it made sense at that point. We signed on. That's awesome. So we came on in the middle of, uh, I think it was July of 2012. So I, I thought I didn't do my homework enough to know for sure, but I thought that we came on like around the same time. I remember seeing you guys um, as, you know, as we've grown over the last, what is it now? Four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but tell us a little bit about just so folks can kind of get the background on you and on the agency. Uh, your background and then that the growth trajectory from uh, you kind of going solo in 2007 through signing up with HubSpot in 2012 and then and then bring us up to date with where you where you guys are now. Yeah, so um, we started the business. I started the business in 2007. Um, it was a case where I was at a full time job and uh, just 
wasn't fulfilled there. I really only did about two to three hours of work every day. Uh, so I started writing a blog and started freelancing, and that led to um, about a $150,000 insurance contract. So at that point, I told my wife, uh, you know, this is, the, this is the chance that I've been waiting for. Uh, I've got enough to sustain us for a couple years. Why not just go ahead and do it? And so uh, April 2007 is when I jumped, and uh, we did about, I guess, about $120,000 in business in 2007. Um, didn't quite finish that project that, uh, that I landed, but we finished it the next year. Um, but then, you know, kind of fast forward to 2010, uh, we brought on our first employee that year. So he was a web designer. We were very web design and development focused as a company. And um, that's, you know, really kind of where I cut my teeth in the online space is design development. Also, I'd done some affiliate marketing, some email marketing, some media buying and things like that with um, some of the big players like at the time, AOL, uh, MSN and Yahoo were, were the three big ones. Um, when I worked at you know my, at my job, so um, you know 2010 we brought in our first employee. I guess fast forward to uh, 2011 we hired a writer. Uh, so we had a writer come on in 2011, started writing a blog for us, and started writing content for client websites. And then uh, 2012 became a partner agency. At the time we were doing about um, I guess maybe about 440k in revenue in 2012 uh, every year, and so. Um, I guess you'll hear from you know listening to me talk today. We're not really a high growth agency. We're not a lifestyle agency, but we like to grow at about twenty to forty percent a year. And um, by doing that, it really allows us to be more selective with the clients we take on. Uh, it also allows us to have higher margins. And um, you know, it's just I'm just not cut out for the high growth kind of stuff where you hire people. You know, hire several people every month. Uh, it just, you know, it, for me, it's just hard to manage that. It's hard to find good people. Uh, that's definitely one of the struggles we face is is finding good people to, um, you know, run our campaigns. And so, um, you know, it's it's not something that we do like a, a high growth agency kind of thing. Um, this year will be a million plus in revenue. Um, just, you know, as a course of just changing the business model from doing web design development to doing inbound marketing. Um, so right now we are at seven employees. It'll be eight starting next week. Um, and so our retainer business, our mix there is probably about 75% retainers and 25% project revenue. And uh, the project revenue always has an ongoing component. That's a requirement for us. So uh, any company that's going to do business with us has to have some sort of an ongoing compo- uh, component to what they're doing. Wow. Well, first of all, congrats on passing the 1 million mark and also bringing a new person on and starting the onboarding process coming up here next week. And that's something I want to dig into as we get into this. But when you say, and, and you kind of answered a question that I had, which was going to be um, what what mix of this is kind of the web design or project-based versus the retainer. But when you say that every web design or project-based client has an ongoing component to it, is that... And I'm assuming, I could be wrong here, correct me if I am, but I'm assuming most of the project stuff is uh, web design. Is that ongoing component kind of a mix of a lot of agencies, especially starting a couple of years ago, and this is what Guava Box did in the beginning, but that ongoing component was like website hosting and a little bit of updating. But is it more than that? Is it more like the ongoing component is includes some kind of ongoing campaigns or is there kind of a mix there? Yeah, it's a mix. So we we still have some that are just hosting and updates. So if we put a client, for example, on uh, WordPress, we know that we're going to have to update their website several times a month. Um, We know that they're going to need other things as well, uh, nightly backups, things like that that really keep their website 
just make it a, make it a serious business website. You know, we don't want to have a client where we build a website and we're completely done with the relationship. Um, it has to have some component of an ongoing fee, and usually those are two fifty a month plus. Um, the other, I'd say maybe 80%, we're doing growth-driven design. So it's it's where we're creating a basic website for them and then adding to that over time, uh, creating that plan of action to test and grow and evolve that website into what it needs to be as a sales engine for the company. Right. That's awesome. The growth-driven design movement, I think, is going to pick up a lot of steam this year, um, really came along the, the tail end of 2015. Um what are you guys seeing in that area? Is that out of the web designs that you're doing, are you doing more growth driven design than kind of the traditional project base? And have you made that movement as an agency or kind of presented both options to, uh, to prospects? What are you seeing there? Yeah. So I guess the dirty little secret for us is that we're not really doing growth driven design as, as HubSpot kind of puts it out there. We had this idea about an out, about a year before, um, it was announced by HubSpot and, what we're actually doing is is not building the foundational core website and then adding to it over time. What we're doing in most cases is we're building a website as a fully functional website, which may be devoid of a, a few really key features they want to add on later. So we'll do a phase two and a phase three and a phase four. But while we do that, the, the biggest part of what we're doing that's seeing the biggest results is just website optimization. So we launch a website and we know that when we launch a website, regardless of how, you know, how well, our designers design a website. There are going to be things that need to be changed as you test things. So I think what really what resonates with clients is that we're continuing to work on the website. They don't really, in my experience, they don't really care about seeing the percentages and the hypotheses and you know, proving some result. All they care is that they're seeing a result at the end. So a lot of what we're doing is is small optimization work like adding CTAs or changing CTAs or changing a navigational path or something like that that makes the website perform better. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm curious, are you guys focused, are there any verticals that you guys are really focused in or is it just kind of uh, serving everyone around these different? Um... Yeah, yeah. so that's something we tried, I, you know, we we went to inbound, we went to partner day and it's one of those things where, you know, we heard specialization is, is so key. And I think there, there definitely is something to that. I, I don't think we've been able to specialize in a specific industry. We haven't been able to put a flag in the ground and say, we are inbound marketing for this type of company. Uh, what we have been able to do though, is to concentrate our sales efforts and our execution efforts on just a few industries that we have expertise in. So for that, uh, for us, that's healthcare really focusing on the medical side. So um, medical practices, especially specialty, uh, specialty medical practices, um, or, or we'll call them elective procedures. So that might be, um, you know, LASIK eye surgery or uh, bariatric surgery or, you know, something like that that's, that's a little bit more uh, than just a standard medical practice. Um, manufacturing is something that we've got a lot of experience in and have done pretty well. Uh, some technology and also some professional services. Great. Yeah, I think that that is, uh, and that's something that we've struggled with is on the guava box side, like early on especially, we did a ton in manufacturing, especially industrial manufacturing, and then kind of moved into the software space. And so when we have to tell people, here's what the vertical is, or when we're putting something out, it's going to be geared towards one of those two primary verticals, but you're still going to get leads in other areas that you can do good work for. And one of the challenges there was, uh, so Andrew and I started Guava Box right out of college there wasn't a lot of industry expertise that that made us specifically qualified to say this is why we're in this vertical versus another one 
So it's I think that that was a little bit more challenging. And then with do inbound, it's easier. Like that's easier to be focused because the product itself is very focused in the the background. There's more of a reason to be vertically driven. I think that that has made that easier than the guava box side. So I can I can relate to that on the kind of agency focused side for sure. Yeah. So for us, it's not necessarily. And it's it's not really an industry focus. It's a focus on the company's culture. Do they have the right culture for us to be able to come in and create content and have the kind of partnership with them that we need to be successful? Um, is it a size company that that could you know potentially work for us in terms of uh, you know the, the people access to people? Will we be able to get access to the people we need to create good content and to prove value? Um, so it's it's really more about culture than it is about the industry that they're in. Although from a sales process, we do kind of tailor that content to the industry we're talking to. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that the the culture, the openness of the organization does that's uh, night and day the difference between a successful project and a, a project that's not going to work out well, or a relationship that's not going to succeed in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a red flag to me when someone says, we worked with an agency before, we worked with two agencies before, and we've just been, you know, we've been burned by that agency. And what that tells me is that they're really throwing up their guard and they're not going to be a true partner. Um, we have had some, we have had some good experiences with companies that have had bad experiences with agencies, but it's taken a lot of time to build that trust. Right. I can, as you said that, I was just smiling because I can totally relate to that. And it's not that there's, there's definitely enough bad agencies out there to give people bad experiences, but it, it also tells you something. Ninety nine percent of the time, it's, it wasn't solely on the agency who they worked with before. So that's definitely a red right. flag. Yep. So Rick, there's a couple different uh, areas that I want to dive into with you, but kind of starting off, one of the things that we like to ask about is like a client success story, or it could be with your agency. What's something that that has happened in the last maybe the last quarter that's worked really well for you, either in a client relationship or something that you guys are doing internally? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you about a success story. We had a um, we started working with a healthcare client last year, and um, I'm going to go back about six or seven months here, just because we've had a chance to to look at some results for them. Um, and so, this healthcare client had just completed a brand new website when they started working with us. I mean, literally the month before they started working with us, they had comp- completed a new website, and the website was beautiful. I mean, it really. If you you know you put that website in front of people, they'd say, "Yeah, this is definitely a beautiful website." But what we knew from looking at the website is that it wasn't optimized. Um, we knew that we were going to be creating content for that for that client, and it was going to take a while to work. Um, so we decided to do some website optimization first, and so that's that's really a normal part of a relationship for us. During that onboarding process in the first few months, we're always doing website optimization in tandem with creating content, and by doing those two things in parallel, we're able to see pretty good wins. So the uh, the optimization helped to grow the retainer for us. It helped to see the, the early wins to really build their trust. And uh, later on down the line, it really helped to amplify some of those content results. So, um, you know, we, I know some agencies go and they, and they do a lot of PR. And they buy lists and, and do things like that. And that's certainly something that we've, we've done with some, some other clients. But with this client, it was just purely let's blog for you. Let's put some lead generation content on your website and let's do some website optimization. So just those three things. And um, the month they started working with us, they got six leads from their website. So I guess that's sort of the baseline, right? Six leads a month. Uh, you know, for a medical website, that might not be so bad. Uh, but that jumped to 44 leads the second month and 76 the third month. Wow. And so, you know, for us, I mean, that wasn't all content-based, right? That wasn't 
people finding their blog. That wasn't necessarily people, you know, getting their email and responding to that. It was really, um, it was really those website optimization efforts that really helped us to win the trust of that client. And so now, when we go to them and we say we want to do something, then they're really willing to do it because we've we've proven that some of the stuff we do works. Man, those are awesome results. So I have two follow up questions for you, just because I'm I'm thinking about this from the perspective of. Uh, myself and agencies listening who are saying, how can we do the same thing? One is, is that a situation where we've seen results like that? It's typically a situation where the client is getting a decent amount of traffic right now, but there's really no uh, conversion opportunities or funnel in, in place. Was that the case here or was it something else? Yeah. I mean, there was, they were getting a couple thousand visits a month. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's not a case where they were really getting a ton of website traffic. Um, it's really hard to optimize a website when you get, you know, six to 800 visits a month. It's, it's right. just, it's tougher to do. Uh, it's tougher to prove that. And that's something we look at in the sales process. You know, how likely are we to be successful with this client? Uh, but we knew in this case that they had the website traffic where we could make a few tweaks and get a few gains. And even if it would have jumped to six to 12 or 18 or 20, uh, that's still a, a pretty huge increase. And it, mean, it means a lot to their bottom line. So we knew that we would have a pretty good, a pretty good uh, chance of, improving their results by doing that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So then uh, the second question that I have is what did that relationship look like? Was that an agreement where they, um, because you're starting with optimization and trying to figure out, in a lot of these cases what we've run into is, hey, we're trying to figure out a baseline. We have metrics that you've kind of loosely collected in the past where, hey, we get this handful of leads. Was that a situation where you signed them to a a 12-month agreement, uh, some kind of retainer agreement? Or was that kind of a discovery project where you said, let's start optimizing this in this way. This will be a three-month project or something like that. What was the framework that you guys work with in that case? Yeah, so we never sign – at this point, we don't sign clients to a 12-month agreement or commitment. Um, we've, we've actually started looking at that a little bit more and, and uh, thinking that might be something we want to look at. Um, but I think in, in this case, it was really, you know, here's what we need to do to be successful. And we went through the sales process with them. And doing that, we spent time with them in person. And we actually showed them on their website what they needed to change. So we, we met as a team. We understood what needed to change on their website and why that needed to change. And we literally told them. And they could have gone and done that. But I think um, they, they trusted us to do that. And, and then when the content hit, it really amplified the, the results there. Right. Well, I mean, obviously, it worked out well, and I, th- I think that the the twelve month agreement is something that a lot of clients in our sales experience, at least, that's something. It just takes a lot of there's a lot of trust that needs to be built before anyone's going to sign up for twelve months of anything. Yeah. Um. So I like that kind of proving it out and not not asking for the huge commitment for spending that time up front to build a relationship. Rick, speaking of the sales side of things. I'd, I'd like to dive into a little bit of your sales process because that's something that, that you mentioned to me uh, at Inbound 2015, some of the success you guys had had in sales, and then just before recording here, um, some of the success that you guys have had starting this year and the, the pace that you guys are on to surpass the, the million-dollar mark in sales this year. Tell us a little bit about the sales process, what's working for you, and what you're seeing right now. Well, you know, the first thing the first thing I'd tell you is, you know, everyone at the agency needs to be in sales. and that's just once we got that and once we really understood what that meant uh it meant that we could grow our retainers um and interestingly enough when we got also got that we figured out which clients were never going to move to that next level and we've actually started to trim some of those clients so really i mean we we're, we're training our account staff to be not to be salespeople, 
but to be helpers first and to always help first before anyone pays us for anything. So they want to, they need to be able to share their expertise and recommend something and show a client what that means. And if a client's receptive to that, they bring that opportunity to me and then I go close that deal. So it's really more of an identification process for us where we, we train the account managers to identify those opportunities and to really talk with the client because they are the trusted contact with that client. And that's really proved quite quite helpful for us. I mean, we've had some retainers we've literally doubled just by having that process in place. Um, it's not something where we say at month three, we're going to you know take a look at their website or in month six, we're going to look at their social media or, or anything like that. It's really just as we go and we talk to clients, you know, partnership and relationships for us are just the most important thing. More than the services we're delivering, the partnership and the relationship is important. So, you know, as we start to form those relationships and bonds with our clients, they're going to share things with us that they might not share otherwise. And so those are, those are opportunities for us, A, to help them, just first of all, to help them through that circumstance that they're facing. And B, if we can help to support that with technology or with services or something like that, there's an opportunity for us to sell that as well. Right. Um, so you know, every, everyone at the agency being in sales is just, just an incredibly important thing to remember. Um, you know, I think the other thing that we talked about before we, we started recording is just the, the new client philosophy. So really, I mean, we, we don't want to take on clients that are lower than our average retainer. Um, we want to continue to, to grow our retainers. And um, we know that when we take on a client that is less, in terms of value, is less than our average retainer, what ends up happening is that we serve all of our clients the same way. Because we're so relationship focused, we spend so much time with our clients and it just doesn't make sense from a financial standpoint to, you know, spend as much time with a lower paying client that it it does with a normal, you know, normal paying client, an average client. And so financially, those numbers look bad. And so what we know is we really, what we have to do is we have to continue to advance that sale. So where, you know, back in 2013, our average retainer was about 2,500 a month. Uh, we grew that to about 3,000 in 2014. In 2015, it was about 3,500. This, this year, it's probably going to be around five or, or 5,500 uh, for our average retainer. And we just know that in doing that, we're, we're making, A, we're, we're making sure that clients are invested in what we have to bring to the table. So we want to make sure that they are serious about a partnership. Um, it's really, you know, that the money behind a retainer really helps to set the, the tone for that retainer. They have really high expectations that we have to hit, but we have the staff to meet those expectations. And at the same time, they're going to pay extra attention to this relationship that they have going on because it, it does cost them, you know, a lot of money. Um, you know, another thing that I heard uh, Carl Sakis say, um, I don't know that he said this at Inbound. I think he, he said it during a talk that I heard. He's, a, he's an agency consultant. Um, he said that you never want to have a client that is lower than your average, and for them, it's a lot of money. So if, if your average retainer is $1,000 a month and you take on a $500 a month client, but $500 a month for them is a ton of money, then you're going to have problems because they're going to spend, they're going to want to spend extra time with you and you're not going to want to spend that extra time with them. So there's going to be a problem there. I think so as we advance the, the value of what we're 
providing to our clients and the, you know, the value of the retainer goes up as well, we need to make sure that that's the case, that it's, it's not a huge amount of money for them, but it's something, it's something that they can afford. But at the same time, we feel like we can spend a lot of time really getting invested and really digging into that industry or that client or that company or the, the people that are involved in that relationship too. I think that's great advice, and that's something, as you're saying that, that just reminds me, like, the, the number one issue in pretty much every relationship is just unmet expectations. And when the client's expectation is for 500 bucks a month, I'm going to get the white glove treatment, and your expectations are for $500 a month, you're my least helpful client to me. Uh, you're, the conflict is inevitable in those cases. Yeah, so we're always actually mapping out our clients on on kind of a matrix and saying, uh, what's the what's the value of that relationship and what's the potential? So if it's a low value, low potential relationship, it's it's literally on the chopping block. So uh, this year we're probably going to let four clients go because the relationships are too tactical. They're not strategic enough. They're not the way we like to work. And, and frankly, um, you know, it's it's probably not the way the client likes to work either. So if we can't take those relationships to the next level, we'll probably end up leaving those behind so that we can make room for better clients, uh, yeah. ones that really need our help and want us to be more strategic. Yeah, I think that's a that's a tough conversation to have, a tough decision to make, but it's something that you have to to move forward with for the sake of, growing the agency and also just protecting everybody on both sides. Rick, one of the questions that I hear a lot, and I'd be curious to know how you guys handle this, is you're going through the sales process with someone and trying to figure out, um, like, hey, our our baseline is you need to, there's some budget that you need to have in order to be able to work with us. How do you uh, kind of either self-select out or help, help people self-select out or where in the sales process do you get into the budget conversation at least enough to uh, to figure out who could be who is a viable prospect and who's just not going to be a good fit for you guys? Yeah, we get into that almost right away, and and let me explain how we do that. So I know everyone is really you both clients hate the question about budget, and the agency salesperson hates the question about uh, cost and budget. So what we figured out is that we'll have an initial. You know, it's always good to have a sales process, right? So. The first thing we do is to have just a basic 30-minute or or hour-long conversation with a client about what their business needs are. So we want to know what they've heard, what they think about inbound, what they, you know, what what have they seen from their website? What kind of goals do they have? So we're qualifying them on a couple of other things as well. But then as soon as that phone call is over with, I always say, or right before the phone call is over with, I always say, you know, listen, I know you have probably a million questions about working with an agency. Maybe you've done this before, maybe you haven't. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a, a book that we wrote and it's just a it's a 23 or 24 page ebook basically. And it goes through everything. It goes through our process, how we write for clients in uh, in industries that we have no knowledge in. So I mean, you know, we're, none of us are doctors. We can't write medical pieces. Uh, from scratch. So what we have to do is we rely on the subject matter expertise uh, to be able to write those documents. So we actually go through that entire process and say, here's how it works. Here's how long it takes to see results. Here's a case study. Um, We even talk about some basic pricing. So we say, you know, you might be at this tier and that's a small company, a local company who wants to get into inbound for the first time. 
Uh, and you know, here's what it costs, and here's what's included. And we give three different scenarios, and really it ranges for, in costs from about 4000 to around uh, 8000 a month, those three different tiers. But we basically give them three choices, so to speak, without really going through and setting goals yet. So usually a client can read that and say, you know, you guys are, you guys are too expensive for us, or, um, you know, you guys, this, this, we probably are not on the upper end, we're probably on the lower end. So really, I mean, it, we get those conversations within the second, conver- you know, the second phone call or the second email simply because uh, we're putting that information out there for them to read. We don't want to be shy about what we charge. We don't want to be shy about how we do what we do. And so by really setting their expectations in a very tangible way, we're able to get that information and qualify that prospect up front. That's super helpful. And that reminds me of, I mean, it's essentially assignment selling where you're giving them, hey, we'd like you to look through this. Are you guys actively tracking that and um, either like assigning that as homework to the client or just going into the CRM and looking ahead of time if they checked out this this uh, PDF, at least going to the link? Or how do you – does that play into the rest of the process? It does. Yeah, it absolutely does. So if we have a second phone call scheduled, um, I will look and see if they read that, uh, read that document. And if they haven't read that document, I ask them about it on the call. So I'm, you know, I will confront them about, hey, I see that you didn't, you know, you didn't open the document that I sent you. Is there, uh, you know, was it, did I just not give you enough time? Do you need, you need more time to do that? Uh, I think it's really helpful that you read that document because it gives you information on price, process, all the things in working with us that you need to know. And so I don't require that before a second phone call, but if I'm going to go into a goal-setting conversation with a client where we really dig into their numbers and their business, I'm going to require that they've read that. Right. I love that approach. Well, Rick, switching gears here a little bit uh, from the sales success that you guys have had, the client success that you shared, bring us into the struggle of the agency. What's something, as we look into 2016 here, where – you said you've identified this as a weakness and want to improve your process around something. Yeah, well, where do I start? I mean, <laughs> there's so many struggles. Welcome I mean, to my life. Yeah, really. I mean, it, there's every day is a struggle, and you know, as we we, I always like to take a really hard look at the agency at least once a month and say where are we really deficient. Um, we are always improving our processes, so um, we we just spend so much time on process. Um, we are. Literally, our team will meet once a week to talk about process. We just overhauled the uh, client onboarding process. So um, just just kind of a, I guess, maybe a success story but that came out of a challenge. Um, I, I really felt like our, our inbound marketing manager felt like our, in, our onboarding process just wasn't quite where it needed to be. So we really kind of spent uh, several months completely deconstructing that process and putting it back together. So we talked to other inbound agencies. We tried to get ideas from them. Uh, we we talked to clients. We, we talked to everyone and just tried to figure out what's going to make this best. So we have sort of an eight-week onboarding process now. There's a deliverable every week. It keeps the client engaged. Um, you know, One week, the deliverable might, might focus on setting up HubSpot. Uh, the next week, it might be dedicated to a, a brand messaging strategy uh, or personas or you know, another week might be social strategy. There's one for blog strategy. There's another for website optimization strategy. So the end, we bind all of this together and present them with a book. It's basically their campaign roadmap. And so every week in that process, they're engaged with us. They are they are actively getting and reviewing things from us. So we're in, in, a, in a lot of cases, that's really just being transparent with what we're doing and showing them that process of what we're doing. Um, 
But I think that's been a, a successful thing that's come from a real challenge for us. I think as we look at 2016, for us, we have to look more internally. And so for us, it's going to be employee onboarding process and training. So I know that we need more rigorous, more defined training for our employees. Um, What's been missing is that we could be better at setting expectations for our employees and properly training them from day one. Uh, They obviously go through inbound and HubSpot certification. Uh, I think having our more senior people also go through the partner certification, the uh, contextual marketing certification. That's something we haven't – none of us have gone through the contextual marketing certification yet. Um, The growth-driven design certification that was just announced, I think that's uh, something that we should also go through. But then even beyond just the HubSpot stuff, I mean there's there's stuff about – you know, because relationships are so important to us, we also need to train people on how to you know, give the perception that they're actually paying attention during a client meeting. I mean there's a lot of little things that are really important. Um, you know, when you're in a meeting with a client, for example, and you're in person with that client – do you have your laptop open and you're always taking notes or do you actually close the laptop and, and make eye contact and connect with that person? So there's, there's training that needs to happen beyond just the technology and, and beyond the inbound marketing methodology to make your agency better. And so those are the types of things that we're doing. And we, we've actually, we're actually hiring a consultant, an HR consultant, to come in and help define what the onboarding strategy looks like for a, for a new employee. I mean, we have a, a new employee starting on Monday. So it's like, how are we going to go through that process with that particular person so that, A, they feel really comfortable and really confident working at the agency. They feel like they're right away a really valued member of the company. Um, and then how do they understand what our core, our core values are? So we hire around core values and knowing what those things are that we really care about and how we execute what we do. And so they're already a good fit for those, but we need to make those really come out in their work. Uh, so there's there's training that needs to happen there. There's employee onboarding. There's just just general training that needs to happen, and really that's going to help them feel special too. You know, it's going to help them understand that we're trying to take their career to the next level. Um, I guess another struggle that I'd share with you is just that you know if, if we look at, really honestly look at the business right now, we need career paths for everyone. So. At our agency, we have an inbound marketing specialist, which is sort of the, the entry-level inbound marketer. We have an inbound marketing consultant, which is a more senior inbound marketer. And then we have the marketing manager. So um, he really is the one that manages people. So I think really defining what, what's involved in each of those steps and the salaries for each of those steps and what you need to do to get to the next level is going to be really important for us. I think that's something that we've talked about in our, in our team update. And, um, you know, for me, that's something that we really need to do so that a person who is a consultant who really has their eye on a management position can actually get to that point and they don't go looking for a job somewhere else. Um, so that's really retaining our employees is going to be something that I'm going to spend a lot of time on in 2016 just because it's something that we need to do just to make an investment in them and also to, to let them know that we take their career seriously. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I appreciate you being willing to share kind of all those different areas and some of those stories and, and details in there. I think, I mean, a couple of takeaways for me. One, I think it is really important and something that I just kind of highlight from what you said. There a couple of things. One is not just focusing on the technical skills when it comes to improving your internal team, but also the soft skills. What are the interpersonal uh, relationship skills that everyone on your team needs to have as they're interfacing with each other and also with clients? And then I think the 
as we see more and more agencies grow, and you mentioned back at the beginning of the interview, you guys are kind of uh, in between a lifestyle business where you're uh, kind of beyond that, but also not uh, on the on the track for a really high growth agency. But as we see more and more agencies get into uh, that situation or the growth situation, having that career path, and as the industry evolves and matures, those career paths within agencies are going to become uh, really important as you try and retain folks because uh, because retention, keeping that talent, obviously finding, growing, and improving that talent, and then retaining that talent is, is going to be key to helping any agency grow. Yeah, you know, we have enough growth where – it can be a challenge, you know. It, it could be a challenge where someone takes on new clients once a month, or you know, they take on a new client once every two months. I mean, there's there's a lot of that going on, and um, we really have to be careful about how much we take on. So that's why we're not a high growth company. We want to make sure we deliver, and we deliver really, really well, so that we retain not only the client but the employee too. I mean, we have to. We've spent so we we spend so much time and so much investment really getting into an employee relationship and and teaching them how to do it the right way. Uh, granted, we need to formalize a lot of that, but I think you know we don't want to lose that employee either. Um, we, we want them to really enjoy coming to work every day and be rewarded with the, you know, some of the challenges that client work uh, brings to the table. So I think you know, it's, a, it's a responsible decision for us to grow at a manageable pace so that we can deliver really, really well reliably every time, but then also the, so that we can bring on the right people in the agency. We don't just want to bring on you know three or four people a month because we got the work. We certainly could probably do that, but uh, it's, it's a case where we want to bring on the right people to have them execute right every time so that we don't experience client churn. Yep, absolutely. Good stuff, Rick. Well, I have, I have two more quick questions for you here as we wrap up. The first one is, do you have any favorite tools, maybe one or two lesser-known tools that you use consistently and would want to share with other folks in the agency community? Yeah, so um, yeah, so I'll tell you uh, just just lesser known tools. I would say that um, we use hashtagify.me. Um, we use you can book me. So if uh, if a prospect or a client wants to have a relationship or a conversation with us, uh, they can. Yeah, in all of our email signatures, we include our you book me. So, um, or almost all of our email signatures, we include that. So they can book us at any time. They can actually have real insight into what our day looks like. So they can book a time to talk. Um, I guess you've, you've, you know, obviously Evernote and Slack, we use that stuff. Um, I use Wonderlist for to-dos. I think that um, we don't actually share to-dos through Wonderlist. It's something that I personally use to organize my day. Um, and, and the other thing I'll share is uh, Screaming Frog for SEO. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that we use pretty, uh, pretty extensively just to look at a website and evaluate it for the first time. Awesome. So switching from tools to you, just kind of personally what makes you tick, walk us through – this is hard in the life of a of an agency principal, but what does a typical morning look like for you? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a night owl. Uh, mornings are are pretty slow for me, uh, so my morning actually starts at midnight. Um, so that's where I'm usually finishing up work for the day. It's quiet in the house. The kids are in bed. My wife's in bed. So before I go to bed, I like to review my calendar. 
I want to see if you know there's anything that I haven't prepared for yet that I need to prepare for. Uh, print anything out if I have to travel or go for a meeting. Um, it also just kind of tells me what to wear, right? So I mean, if I know I, if I have a meeting on site with a client, I need to, to dress a little nicer than I would if I'm going to be in the office just on the phone every day. Um, so that really helps me prepare for the morning when I'm not quite with it. Um, I always write down my to-do list for the next day, so I actually do that really late. I do that really late at night because it really is, is sort of a period at the end of my day. Um, and and I write down, I also write email and then I'll schedule those to be sent the next day so people don't think I'm working 24-7. So um, that's kind of my, my morning is late at night. So it's actually, you know, midnight to maybe 1 a.m. when I'm doing all that stuff. And so just my day generally is, is waking up about 7.30 uh, I'm in the office around 8:45. Uh, I don't check email until I get to the until I get to work. Usually, um, I just want to start my day off kind of quietly. Um, I usually book meetings from about 10 to 4 every day, so the morning is really spent catching up on email, checking in with the team, blogging, doing some social media, um, responding to some of that email, and so uh, that's kind of my morning in a nutshell. There you go. I like it. I like the figuring. I mean, everyone's just got to figure out what works for them. So the staying up a little bit later. After things have settled down at night, can be a very productive time, and then a good way to start strong the next morning. Well, Rick, I really appreciate you coming on, being willing to share insight into your agency, um, how you guys operate, things that you're doing well, things that you're learning and improving here this year. Definitely uh, am grateful for your time and wish you guys the best this year. If folks want to follow you or connect with you with any follow-up questions, what's the best place for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, LinkedIn is always the best place. Uh, just Rick Whittington, W-H-I-T-T-I-N-G-T-O-N. Uh, I'm also just Rick at RickWhittington.com if they want to send me an email. Um, I'm everywhere else too, so you can find me there. But LinkedIn or uh, email is probably the best place. Great. Well, Rick, I appreciate your time. All the notes from this conversation will be at doinbound.com slash podcast. And uh, wish you guys the best this year. Thanks a lot. Good luck to you. Too. This episode of Inbound Agency Journey is brought to you by Do Inbound, the world's first project and process management tool built specifically for inbound marketing agencies. If you want to learn how to manage, track, and scale your inbound agency with a pre-built and proven system, visit doinbound.com/journey. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash journey. Now back to the show. Welcome back, folks. Gray, awesome chat with Rick. Uh, I know that he's been someone we've been trying to get on the podcast here for a little bit, and I'm glad you guys finally had a chance to to get together and chat through some things. It's cool to hear about their stories, some of their growth. Were there any things that you took away right off the top that you wanted to hit on here in a recap? Right. I think there's from our conversation, there were a couple of things that stuck out stuck out to me. Uh, one of those was around their growth mentality. But the other one maybe that I'll touch on first here is his mentality and the way that he's trying to build into the culture of the team that everyone is in sales. So it doesn't matter. And that's not always looking for ways to try and pinch the customer for more money, but always kind of looking at their relationship opportunistically and identifying what's going well, what do we need to work on, and where are their opportunities to offer more services that will help this client grow and see the results that they want to see. So I think that that's an important uh, philosophy and something that um, I think is challenging to build into the culture because everyone kind of likes being pegged into it. Maybe not everybody does, but I think a lot of people like to be kind of pegged into a specific role and know, hey, my job is to be the copywriter here, or I'm the designer, the developer, or I'm the project manager. And 
my time to sell happens around retention time, but but that's about all. Um, when really, I think looking at what's ultimately best for the client, that might cost them more money. Um, that's really what it's all about to be in sales. How do we solve problems well for the client? And so I think building that mentality into the whole team is a strong approach and something we haven't really gotten into on the podcast before. Yeah, you're right. I think having a team that's aware of the big picture and to know how does all of the little pieces of inbound and if it's your copywriter example, that's only the person doing that or someone, a junior level who's still interfacing with the client, uh, but do it working their task list. Don't get bogged down in the tactics, but understand how those tactics link back up to the greater picture. If you can get your team to see that vision and to get everyone united around that kind of a, a client journey, I think that's a huge win for an agency. Yeah, definitely. Rick also talked about this is something that kind of came out of uh, season four. We dove a ton into teams and also throughout season five, a ton of the interviews that we've been doing, but talking about uh, looking at refining the employee onboarding process and what that's going to look like and just how to take care of the people that you have and beyond just I think for a lot of agency owners it's just an initial struggle just to figure out how to hire somebody and bring someone on and get them integrated into the team but then looking at what does the career path look like and how are we creating opportunities um, for both sides to do well for the for the agency to retain the talent that they have and continue to grow and also for the individual who's a part of the team to continue to grow their career and advance. So I think that's another thing that we're going to see more and more agencies go towards. And it was helpful to hear Rick talk about how he's thinking about that right now. Yeah. Another thing I really liked how he shared a little bit of their, their growth-driven design story and how it's been something that they've been working on even before HubSpot started pushing it a few months ago. And we're hearing more and more about this, Gray. And I mean, you, you're active on the COS advisory board for HubSpot you know kind of the movement that's going on here. And it's a little prequel to next week. we got Kevin Barber coming on to chat more about this in detail. But I liked Rick's approach to website design and website optimization and how they use website optimization as the low-hanging fruit early on in a client engagement to, to hop in there and start showing some value right, off, right out of the gate. Um, when he was chatting about that, did anything pop in your mind or what do you think about the approach that they take uh, – as as far as doing website optimization as part of an ongoing deliverable. Yeah, I think it has to be part of what goes forward. I think that, um, I, I mean, there's always opportunities there to look at what's the impact. This is not a knock against blogging and content production. Obviously, we're big fans of it. It's helped us grow a lot. Um, but to look at the impact of one more blog post or taking the time and identifying what's the weakness on the website right now, where are people falling off or not being engaged correctly, the messaging's not on point, the conversion opportunity's non-existent, um, what do those opportunities for improvement look like? I think that spending the time to do that uh, presents an awful lot of opportunities in most cases for a lot of quick wins and the ongoing optimization is something that I think is going to continue to evolve into. I think what's challenging about it is it's really easy to quantify. Like people are inherently lazy, and it's just much easier to say, "I know exactly what goes into a blog post, into a blog post, and how to produce something new." And it's never as fun to go back and figure out how to rip out something old. What things might I be breaking? What do I need to think about? And what are all the factors that are involved here? Um, but I think that's that's the, the work that really matters is figuring out how do we move things forward and not just assuming that it's 
the same easy deliverable for us to to produce. So I think that Rick's approach, what they've been doing and what they're going to continue to do, I think that provides, especially early in retainer relationships, a lot of opportunities for quick wins and to help build trust and prove your value as an agency early on. But I don't think that that ever ends either. I don't think you hit an endpoint where it's like, okay, the website's good to go now. Now let's just focus on producing new content. There will be phases back and forth of that. Um, but I really think it is going to be an ongoing thing and more and more agencies need to be thinking about that and moving in that direction. Amen, dude. It's all about the big picture. So whether it's working on the website, continuing to improve the website presence, breaking down your pages, improving improving your optimization on those pages, or if it's investing in your team and getting them to see the big picture so that they can service and upsell clients, it's important to hit on those things all through the client relationship because we always want to be the strategic advisor that helps move the client forward, not just checking the box on our deliverables, but helping them be a better business tomorrow than they are today. So, great. Thanks for that chat. That was awesome. Yes, some great questions, and Rick had some great insight there. Uh, folks, thanks for listening right now. We really appreciate your time. A little preview for next week. We've got Kevin Barber coming on in episode number 53 of Inbound Agency Journey. Uh, he is going to share all about their adoption of the growth-driven design process and how they help deliver awesome client wins through that. So we cannot wait to see you next week. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.